Hello, this is uh, Candid Crack. Today we have Colin calling from the UK. Hi, Colin. How, how are you doing today? I'm good, Oscar. Good. Tell me a little bit more um, exactly where you are based and uh, a little bit more about yourself. Okay, so I'm based um, in Loughton, which is on the edge of London um, in the UK. Uh, it's actually sort of stuck in the side of Epping Forest, which has been very convenient over the past few months and we've been able to get out. Um, and I've, um, yeah, I had, I had a corporate career for, you know, 20 odd years or whatever, um, uh, commuting in from here to London mostly. Um, yeah, that's it. So now you're working from home and enjoying it. Yeah, it's taking, it's, it's been an adjustment over several years. I've probably spent about the last 10 or 15 years sort of working from home based stuff, um, exclusively at home now, which is, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Spending a lot of time with your family. I know. So the, 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 the next question. Question, of course, is a little bit more about uh, focusing on what you actually do. So, try, we have, of course, hopefully a few viewers and uh, listeners uh, today. So, try to explain um, your work, what you do. So, um, so my, so yeah, my thing is about decrapifying work. So, I want to help people um, understand why it is that work is crap, which it is for quite a lot of people and give them some tools and techniques uh, and awareness to take action to make it better for themselves. Um, and I, at the moment, I'm mostly doing that just by you know writing and, and talking to people and figuring out what's the best way to get that message out to people uh, and build that awareness. So does, has that come from a personal experience, this, this notion that work is crap? And, and if so, can, can you give us any stories uh, without um, mentioning any well, names, yeah. of course? Uh, I, I guess, well, it's partly, yes. I mean, it's driven, driven from personal experience. So mostly what I come from is my personal experience in, in my corporate career. Um, but I think it's also you know, driven by uh, the data, and, and I can't remember when I first came across the Gallup numbers for employee engagement, but they made my jaw drop and, and they still make my jaw drop that in this day and age, you know, most people don't really enjoy their work. And um, I think that's just appalling. <laughs> so, and I, I guess part of what's what motivates me is, is there seems to be that like, we have a conversation here in, in, you know, drinking dialogues, this, this group about these very issues, but it's not really happening in a way, in a, in a way that impacts people outside of this. And a lot of people who are going to work, sitting there being miserable and not enjoying it, don't really, can't really understand why they're in this situation. They're just accepting it. And, and I think that there's, um, there's things that they can do both personally and within the organization and within their teams to improve their situation and we should be talking more about that um yeah so that's that's my sort of motivation i guess um my personal experience uh was my my corporate career was a bit mixed really so um i started off in these in these very sort of entrepreneurial type organizations um although it was so long ago they weren't called entrepreneurial back then 
and um and I was given a lot of latitude and a lot of scope to play around and try stuff out and um it was extremely enjoyable and then late, later on in my career we sort of got sucked into this other bit of the organization because I worked for BT um that was a very fear-driven command and control hierarchical organization and um yeah, I suffered quite badly in that. It wasn't a, a, an environment that I thrived in, shall we say. Um, and uh, I suppose I spent, part of me is sort of looking at this and saying, well, I've been in these two sort of extremes and I know which one I prefer and which one works best for me and for the organisation. Uh, and also the the struggle that I had was largely because I didn't really understand what the hell was going on. Um, and I didn't have the tools and techniques to be able to deal with it. And you know, I still see that happening today, and I think that that's wrong. We we need to equip people um, with the awareness and the tools to be able to improve their situation. So when you say you didn't understand what, what was going on, I mean, is that the everyday managerial behaviour or, or, or a more strategic imperative? I mean, what, what, what was missing? Um. So I guess the so the everyday, the everyday management behaviour, yeah, was was you know I went I went from this organisation from organisations where I had a lot of uh, autonomy and um, uh, I guess there's quite a lot of trust about to ones where there was like zero trust and the main sort of management style was in fact bullying um, and I just sort of. I didn't really um, understand why that was happening. <laughs> it was, it was, it was well, almost as simple as that. And then it was just like, well, that's just how life is. That's just, you know, what, what do you do about it? Um, and so, um, I, and I didn't have the personal awareness and resources to deal with it. You know, I mean, I, I'm of the generation that, you know, didn't really talk about emotions you were just supposed to you know, have a stiff upper lip and get on with it. And so I didn't have the, the, the techniques to be able to manage myself very well. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I ended up sort of paying the price of, of not dealing with that stuff and just suppressing things. Um, I come from the background mm. of, you know, like if you just put your head down and, and push harder and mm. that's not a technique that, that you know, that, that gets you so far, but there is a point at which, at which um, that doesn't work anymore. And that was all I knew how to do. Mm. So yeah, I've, I've spoken to a few people who have sort of gone through something similar where, where, the, you know, they were, um, uh, wanting a more humane way of managing and perhaps had grown up in an environment where it was more humane and suddenly it became more technocratic and and and, uh, and complex and confusing and, and, and bullying or toxicity sort of became the thing and, and of course as you sort of said that that there's a tendency perhaps there's there's a british cultural tendency to, yeah. to put on the, the the stiff upper lip and, and to sort of deal with it and, and and to not come out the other side very well um so whether talking about yourself or others that you saw is, is this sort of is that what's driving you that that what on earth has gone on 
compared to what it used to be? And are we actually going backwards instead of forwards in how we manage our organisations? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that was so... I suppose I spent quite a few years trying to figure out what the hell did happen to me <laughs> and what was going on. And my sort of my reflections from that is that, that when I started, that, and, you know, and I did... I'm quite old, so it was a long time ago, before, like, not so good, before computers, really. Um, and the workplace was very much more, um, a more, it was a more social place. It was more relaxed. You, people had more autonomy because you couldn't micromanage. You know, people were trusted because um, there wasn't the sort of uh, level of process and structure that you see in organisations today. Um, and it's just got worse and worse. And and since I, I left corporate world, I, I've seen that it's in many ways, you know, just, um, it, yeah, it's become even less humanised. You know, it's become more, more dehumanised rather. Mm. So I'd just like to go into some of the data that I, I'm interested in here, which is which is slightly more than the disengagement, but it, it's around what happened, A, when PCs were sort of first introduced to the marketplace and then around the, 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 the notebook and, and the smartphone era. So, so the PC sort of early 80s. And, and of course, the PC was supposed to, to increase productivity and, and, and do all that. And it didn't actually productivity dropped and, and, and there were some challenges and then after about 10 years it started to go back up and then you had this period where where it was the best ever and then we had the gfc which was roughly the same time that the smartphone and the notebook came in and then productivity dropped again uh, and has never recovered i mean in in in, in these westernized digitalized world it's, it's not come close to recovering in this this productivity improvement so so is that the kind of stuff you were seeing that as more technologies that, that were supposed to make you productive came into the into the office the paradox and the irony was the opposite was happening and, and does that does that talk to your experience um yeah I mean, and i was a you know i was a very early adopter of a lot of this stuff because you know the thing i worked on was was email uh, email systems um so i was i had a, a laptop very early on um and was working i've been working remotely you know, sort of for 30 odd years so um but i yeah you know, i don't know i don't know that i i certainly think the advent of the um uh the smartphone has really sort of broken down the barriers between work and and not work um, and uh, it, we know that's a source of, of stress, and that's what we've learned from um, uh, you know, from, the, from from using them and, and how people have extended their work weeks and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I've observed that. I don't know. I think it's I think it's just that there were there's just there's just so many paradoxes that you come across, um, and. Uh, so, so another one that, that I mean, another paradox that, that struck me was that companies kept saying that they want more creativity and innovation. And I know, I know what it takes to have creativity and innovation because that's the that's where I started in, in organisations like that. Uh, and they weren't anything like the organisations that you see today. You know, the behaviours of organisations, the way they structure and the way they treat people, stop creativity and innovation. 
and and yet they say they want more creativity and innovation whilst all the time they bring in more process and more structure and more rules and you know um, and treat people worse um yeah it's interesting so you, we sort of already gone through three paradoxes now we've got technology to improve productivity to disabling it we've got uh, attempts to, to increase creativity disabling it and and we've got you know this massive focus on engagement creating massive levels of, of disengagement which sort of goes into the core of, of, of certainly the, the, the session that you did for us was, well, what on earth do we start doing about this? Because this is a big imaginative jump because nothing, what we're inheriting is, is not working. So we've got to do a massive rethink. So, so where, where does that take you? So, um, so you're, I mean, you're referring to self-organization, which, I, I guess, I mean, I came across it as a concept when I read Lalu's book, Reinventing Organisations, about six or seven years ago. Um, and that was a real um, uh, uh, moment of revelation to me, you know, because here was a book that gave you some, I gave some concepts that meant I could make sense of what I'd experienced and gave a language to talk about them, which meant I was suddenly having conversations with other people about this stuff um, that hadn't been possible before. Um, but when I thought about it a bit more, I mean, you know, the way that I worked in my first, you know, six or seven years in, in, in BT, in these little organizations that were quite, as I said, entrepreneurial. Um, so, so we had lots of autonomy. We, we, all, we did organize ourselves to a large extent because nobody really knew what we were doing. We were doing completely new stuff with new technology in new markets. Um, yeah, so, and so I knew that, 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 that when you brought control in, all that stuff got snuffed out. So, um, so that made a lot of sense to me. And I think also, I'm not sure if it's explicit in, in the self-organization stuff, but to me, the most important element in, in an organization is, is the team, because teams are where stuff happens. And that's where the work gets done. Um, and that's, that's people's experience of the organization. So when we talk about culture, actually what you experience day to day is the culture within the teams that you operate in. Um, so that, that also seems to me to be pointing towards, you know, self-organizing teams as a way of, of structuring things, um, where you get that creativity, um, and innovation and, um, you know, some of the other things we've talked about, like, you know, the, um, the stuff that Becky, t Becky talks about with relationships, quality relationships. Um, those are things that happen in teams. And, uh, yeah, that seems to me to be an evident truth. And yet it's not really talked about very much. I, mean, I, I don't think... Yeah, I don't think McKinsey's would come up with anything that's like the, the, the team as a organising unit of the company, but mm. I could be wrong. There's, there's two things, uh, Colin, that you, that you mentioned here is, is teams and self-organisation. So I wonder um, where you see that fits. Uh, are you talking about the same thing, teams as, as collaborative um, cells or... Because I, I see distincts between 
teamwork and collaborative work and self-organization as well. So I wonder what your view is on that. Um, well, I suppose, I think some of the danger with, with some of these things is, is that we, we sort of talk about them as if they're the solution. And, and so I would say self-organization is, is part of the toolkit for um, creating you know, a, a better organization and a more humane organization. But it depends what that organization is trying to achieve. So, you know, obviously in, in a very structured environment, um, you know, in a stable organization that's working in a reasonably stable um, marketplace and um, society, then self-organization perhaps isn't the best thing for them, but they do need teamwork because, you know, we, we know that that's very productive. Um, is that what you're sort of driving at? Yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm just just thinking in terms of what you mentioned as well. Um, Self-organisation has has been around for for quite 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 a few decades. Um, so you started looking into this. So why was it that you were looking at this particular um, area of of organisations? Um, there's quite a few different models out there. So what piqued your interest? You thought, hey, this is something that I want to go deeper into. Well, I suppose it. I mean, because it because it aligned with with my experience, I guess that you know the stuff I knew that worked looked a lot like self organisation, um, and I guess um, in in that early part of my career when we were working in a very sort of new space and everything was unknown um then i knew that you know teams that were self-directing um uh, would could move very quickly and you know pivot as they would say today very quickly um it, it just yeah just made, i just knew that stuff works um and it's how we organize our lives. That's how we live. You know, you don't, when you do things in your own life, you don't go and form a strategic, you know, form a committee to draw up a strategic plan and allocate resources. You just sort of get together and figure it out, don't you? You'll be surprised uh, if you meet Michelle, <laughs> how we organize our holidays. But, <laughs> but yes, um, I'm quite curious about that. I mean, I guess you draw from your own experience in this case, right? Uh, the self-organization. Yeah, and I think, but but so self-organization also pushes a, a number of other things as well. So it um, you need you need to create an environment of trust and. Um, Uh, personal safety. Um, I forgot what the word is that Amy Edmondson talks about. Um, psychological safety. Psychological safety. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to create conditions that are that are good for people and good to work in for it to to work. Um, and it also addresses, you know, like power. Um, it, it makes it power is more evenly shared in, in self-organizing structures. Um, 
and it creates a lot more opportunity for people to you know to be themselves to express themselves to explore their their possibilities um, so what 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 i'm hearing from you is something i've also heard from from the cfo of, of ericsson in in the chat with him in the past is is um something around it's not quite it's not quite the same but there's you know, you, you 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 your early experience in organization was self-organizing a part of a team probing the world and and as you've as as we've gone into to the to the world today that's disappeared it's, it seems to be structured and process and control and blah 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 yet all the literature suggests we're going the opposite direction that, that we're going from command and control to um, teamwork and flatter structures. So you, you're actually experiencing this in reverse. We've gone from um, teamwork and, and flatter structures probing the world to a much more command and control thing, which is very interesting because that's, that's not what gets taught, but it's what you've experienced. Yeah, I, well, that, that, yeah, that would be my observation. Uh, and I guess my my more recent conclusions about this is, is it's about the power structures that are operating because, you know, we know what happens. I mean, everybody knows what happens. You, you know, you move to flatter structures, um, but the power structures doesn't change. And, and I had direct experience of this in BT actually. So back in the eighties, um, BT had project sovereign, which was when they, um, they flattened the organization and got rid of a lot of middle managers and people. And the idea, and I think we might have got McKinsey's in to do this, I can't remember. The idea was to have six levels between the bottom and the top. So these six levels were implemented and within about three or four months, people had dotted line responsibilities, which was basically a conceit to reintroduce layers of management mm. um, because, because, because the power structures hadn't been adjusted. So... Um, you know, so if somebody had two direct reports and they in turn had three reports, they all got put onto one level as five direct reports, but the two that had previously been direct reports thought they were more senior. So uh, over time, they had, you know, the other three would start having dotted line reporting. So unless you address that, those power dynamics, nothing really changes because they always reassert themselves. And is that at the core of decrapifying work? Is is it power and, and I guess politics as, as a related part of it? I, I guess so. the infection. I guess so, because because the I, I think that I do think that the change that changes that we need will be driven from maybe not completely, but there there needs to be pressure from the middle of the organization. You know, it's it's gonna be people coming into you know, management or leadership positions who say, you know, I want to do things differently. I'm not, I'm not prepared to accept the status quo. Um, so those are the people that I really want to give the awareness and the tools and the, you know, the, um, the means to, to make that change happen. Colin, the, um, yeah, if you don't mind, and I don't know if you if if that's possible, but I'd like to go a bit deeper into the uh, so how you approach this, right? So you are focusing on decarpifying work, um, um, and, and when you so when you work with clients, so how do you approach this? Is this something because as you mentioned as well, 
I think this is one approach. It's one kind of system. It's the system. One, 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 one option on the table. Um, but how do you approach that? If you said sometimes it doesn't work. So what we suggest at, at the moment, I'm just, I mean, at the moment I'm not, I'm not engaging with organizations. I'm, um, I'm agitating, I guess. And I'm trying to figure out what the, um, uh, what the best way to have an impact impact is. So, so I think part of my role is, is to, um, communicate to to people in a way that's easy to understand and for them to use um, to be able to take action in the, in their daily sort of working life. Um, yeah. So so what struck me is is that you know the more that I've looked into this, the things that seemed um, sensible and obvious to me are actually backed up by you know by research. You know, the, the fact that organisations aren't changing isn't because, and you might have a different view on this, Richard, but I don't think it's because there isn't the research and the data and the information out there. Um, it, it's because it's not getting through to people or people are choosing not to, take, to pay attention to it. Yeah, I, I think it, it's it's generally the former. So I, 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 I just think that people don't have the time to engage with this kind of stuff. And so perhaps that's, that's what you're doing now, is, is taking the time to finally engage with the evidence-based stuff um, and, and navigate the complexity of it. Because it's not, it, 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 it takes um, cognitive effort to, to, to work through it and to sort of go, oh, this is how this would fit and, and then this is how that would fit, et cetera, et cetera. So is, is that part of it? And, and you know, is, is, is this demand for incessant busyness and productivity and being watched on, on, on the screen, et cetera, is, is this causing a, a lack of reflection and, and a lack of cognitive effort into, into any kind of reimagination? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, uh, and um, I mean, for some people at the moment, they're sort of, you know, doing nine to five Zoom calls. There's no time for them to to uh, to look at this stuff. So that's and you know, this comes back to my experience. I've I've you know be, often been sitting reading something, thinking, God, if only I'd known this when I was you know back in that situation, I'd have been able to cope with it better. Um, so it's it's trying to, yeah, I guess, pull out the really important stuff, boil it down into um, stories and information that people can pick up and use, you know, without having to spend too much effort. Um, and uh, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, so you you said to me that. You know, the most widely read personal leadership at the moment is Simon Sinek. Yeah, certainly one of the biggest selling uh, leadership in inverted commas books yeah. in, in the last decade or so. Yeah, yeah, and and whether what he says is you know particularly outstanding or not, he he communicates it brilliantly in ways that people can easily ingest and take on board. And I think you know we need we actually need more of that. That. We know what 
needs to be done and and lots of people intuitively know what needs to be done but they don't necessarily have the arguments or the stories or the confidence to be able to um to bring that into being mm, so i mean I've, I've heard confidence described as a sweet spot between arrogance and despair um, which I think is a wonderful way of describing it. And, 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 and perhaps that's what you're looking for, is, is that, that confidence space to, to do something about the crapness of work. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, crafting out. And, and, and again, I mean, and as you know, my, my opinion of Sinek is whilst, whilst ideologically it would be great to have workplaces in which we all love our work, I, d- I don't think he's done done the hard yards behind the book for the book to be that valuable. Uh, but it, but it sort of you go, oh yeah, of course, that's what I want. And, but it doesn't wait, it doesn't sit on anything. So is is that what you're doing at the moment? Is to try and sit on something a bit more solid. Um, and so look, and, and now we can make it simple because I mean your writing on LinkedIn is is very easy to follow and and, and insightful and, and you can sort of go, oh, okay, I see that. Is is, is that the process you're in at the moment? Yeah, I, I think so. It's it's drawing together these cause, because it's um because this stuff is is it's, yeah it's multifaceted. So I think a lot of the conversations about um, you know organisational structures and even things like you know the stuff that Lou writes about is a bit up here for people. And how do you re- relate that to what you do day to day? Um, and I said earlier, you're mostly working in teams. So how do you how do you influence and impact the teams that you work in? And and then before before and within that, I guess is well that requires a certain amount of work on yourself. So I mean, I've I've got a coaching background as well. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the struggles I had was to do with the lack of self awareness and you know not having clarity around. Um, around who I was as a person. And, um, and, and so you need to be able to do that, that stuff as well. Um, so it, it's tying that together in something that's, you know, digestible and rememberable and rememberable, <laughs> memorable mm. and stuff. So, so yeah. So, so, I mean, one of my other favorite books is Be More Pirate. Um, which I don't know if you'd come across, but well, I know it was a Steve Jobs kind of uh, quote: "Is be like a pirate or something like that." Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so the book is is was written by a guy called Sam Conniff, and, and but it's basically saying looking at the the golden age of pirates um, and how they um, were a bunch of young professionals who were you know like not treated very well, and they broke away and they. Um, made up their own rules and created their own environment that, that they thrived in. And, and they had things like, you know, they were self-managing and they were democratic and they had, um, you know, equal rights for everybody and fair shares and transparency and um, a lot of groundbreaking ideas at the time that, that are actually exactly what we need today. Um, and one of the things I like about it is because it's it's a very attractive, you know, interesting um, thing. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit cool to be a pirate and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
and it's memorable and it's simple uh, and people can really latch onto it and start to, it's an idea they can take and make their own. And, and, and it's, 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 so it's a, it's a real shortcut. You know, if you get caught in a moment, like, am I being pirate or am I just, you know, rolling over and being pushed around? It's, mm. it's, it's giving people those sorts of um, reference models, I guess, you might call them. I, I didn't think we'd be talking about pirates, so I wasn't pre prepared for this question, but let's go there anyway. Um, <laughs> so, I've actually uh, found an area you haven't read up yet. Uh, well, I need, I need to see. I, I, that's a book I, I feel I have to read it now. But um, So, so one, one of the things I'm interested in, I, and I noticed behind you, um, I don't know if it's inspired by Lelou, but you have a teal wall. I, or at I least do, looks yes. teal on the screen. Um, <laughs> it so, is so teal, course, yes. Yeah, teal, teal is sort of his, his the, the vision of this, this progressive organisation and, and, you know, higher levels of organisational consciousness and leader consciousness, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got pirates on the other side. So my, my, my struggle, and it's an ongoing struggle with work like the Loose, is there seems to be a narcissism and, and a, a self-worth challenge. When you, oh, I'm teal. I'm I'm special. I've got a higher level of consciousness, and and, and you you see the same thing in the tribal leadership work, and and um, you know the when when WeWork's mission statement was to change human, you know, to, to improve the consciousness of humans worldwide, or, or whatever it was. You've got you've got that kind of grandiose self worth narcissism in it, which I don't think you have when it's a pirate. So I'm quite interested. And is, is are you seeing similar things between between the two? Literatures. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, um, I mean, I completely get your sort of. You know, people sound a bit up themselves, don't they? You know, I'm achieving a higher level of consciousness. Um, uh, and I, and I think that there was. Yeah, I have an ambivalence about teal because the, there immediately became a teal bandwagon and you know teal implement teal groups and all this sort of stuff, and I think that's a bit of a misreading of what Lalu said because he basically says, you know, this is my suggestion of what might happen next, um, but it could be something you know rather different, but it's going in this sort of direction, um, and. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, and, and the pirates is a much more earthier thing, but but it but it, it incorporates. It's almost like it's an unconscious higher level of consciousness in a way. I mean, you know, because they really did believe in in democracy and everybody was equal. You know, I mean, on a pirate ship in the you know the late sixteen hundreds, early seventeen hundreds, that was the only place in the world where a black man could truly be free. There's any place in the world where women and men were treated as equals, um, and it was, you know, oh, centuries later that, that we maybe arguably still aren't back to that place. So, um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of lost my thread a bit there, but no, no, no I, I, again, it's that sort of that there's something there's something grounded in reality in, in, in Be More Pirate that perhaps there isn't in this this higher levels of consciousness within organisations stuff, and I think that that's that's important to to have an example 
of, of this is and, and again within the tribal leadership work so being a pirate would be their lowest level of culture it's like the gang member kind of yeah because they they haven't necessarily done that kind of research around what actually happens internally they just go oh it's not it's not the kind of thing i like therefore it's bad rather than going into deeper deeper research about honor and respect and I democracy thought, i haven't thought about that because actually in the lose model a, a pirate crew would be would be a rate which is the lowest but that's mm. not actually how it works that's that's not you know i mean on a, a not not all pirate ships but on a lot of pirate ships the captain and the quartermaster were elected by the crew mm. and could be sacked if they didn't you know, if the crew didn't like them yeah that's that's what came to mind for me as well that that bottom level and pirates and oh, something interesting there Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think it's, I mean, you know, just by your reaction, it, it's a very engaging way of talking about things. So if you're trying to get this stuff across to people, you know, it's something that they can really, people, people think, people enjoy this idea of being a bit pirate. Um, whereas I think, you know, um, well, some people enjoy achieving higher levels of consciousness and all that sort of stuff and, you know, the age of Aquarius and, things but but um i think more people enjoy pirates to be honest so i've i've never read this book um about pirates but i can sort of imagine um, what it would look like the question i have for you uh, uh colin is is what uh, well of course so pirates i think you have modern pi pirates that probably a little bit different uh yeah off uh, the coast of africa at the moment um but the kind of the bridge between the two two thoughts that you have, right? So being a pirate, and that's from your own experience, you draw from this as well, uh, going into self-organized organizations. Um, I just wonder, yeah, I mean, what are the practical um, implications for that? I mean, of course, we can talk about pirates, but I think that seems to be sort of really far off concept for me in terms of, looking at uh, business models or organizations. So I wonder if you can sort of try to explain to me how that would fit into self-organized uh, environment. What, the pirate bit or the... The pirate I mean, bit, yeah. So, so let's say there's a f you have a flat sort of, as you kind of described a little bit, no? so everyone is well, treated Well, the pirates evil. were self-organizing, so they each you know each ship operated independently um and they would they would have so they also introduced dual governance so you had the captain and the quartermaster um and the quartermaster was responsible for you know making sure everybody was happy so he was like culture if you like um and uh, was mostly um in charge of day-to-day -day running of the ship but when they went into battle, then the captain took over and was responsible for strategy. Um, and, and his power in that moment would be absolute. So you know, when you're going into battle, you do what the captain says. And then afterwards, the, you know, the, the more democratic order replaces, comes back in. Um, 
so um yeah sorry i've forgotten the question now what was it you said about well so yeah the, the interesting oh, thing what, sorry you just so self-org- sorry self-organizing yeah so sorry they so they would but they would also get together for uh for raids so um i can't remember which one it was there but i mean they they sort of like sacked panama city they they created a force of about 2000 pirates that just came together out of nowhere you know sacked panama city for um five days uh, and then disappeared off into the oceans again split up having having shared out all the stuff they'd taken um that's pretty agile <laughs> to put it in today's parlance um, so is it fair to say that so the way you describe this right so you need you need this um fluid environment you have the self-organized environment but then you have moments where you need some kind of uh hierarchy you know you need to actually yeah in this case you have a leader uh, yeah. in a sort of crisis situation is is that a fair sort of description of what you kind of try to say there yes yeah yeah and and, and that sort of ties in so so my views on leadership really are are that leadership is is it's an act and it's something that should be passed around between people. So that's that in action, which is uh, you know in that moment of um, crisis or stress, then the leadership is placed solely with the captain. You know, but once once he's done his job and they've you know they've taken the ship or whatever they're, they're going to do, then it reverts back to to other people, and it. And I see in teams, you know, in a really, really high-performing team, there isn't an obvious leader. The leadership is passed around as appropriate. You know, people will step forward when it's their area of expertise or knowledge, or they, or you know, they're, they're they've got the resources or the um, the inclination to take on a particular challenge. It's, it's it's really interesting. I, mean, I I I quite often start um, my theory of organisation stuff with with Springfield Armoury, um, which is eighteen fifteen post eighteen twelve war in the US, and, and the kind of emergent work that they were doing. And it was very like what you were saying. You had people trying to solve all kinds of different problems in terms of, of mass manufacturing of weapons. Uh, and, and a very fluid leadership. Whilst you still had someone in, in, in charge, he quite often was sent off to go to one of the other armories and someone else would take control and it would still keep on going. And, and actually after his death, the, the, the methodology continued for, 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 for years. You've also got something like Stanley McChrystal's stuff of Team of Teams, which is very self-organising where he looks at the shift between traditional, you know, non-war army conditions versus wartime army conditions and, and the shift of, of, of leadership responsibility in it. And you're just taking it back, or, or this, this author has taken it back another couple of hundred years, saying this has always been a successful organisational form. Um, and, and it still is, or it still should be a successful organisational form, but perhaps we've... And I'm going, to, I'm going to argue you're a bit of a romantic because perhaps we've lost the art of it. 
we've become too focused on this on, on this supposed science of doing this and we've forgotten about the art and practice and and, and the, sim the, the simple elements of art and practice and that's that's where you're positioning yourself is that is that a fair description yeah i'd take i'd take that yeah so i was struck by something i think i did write about this but um Yeah, we've become very sort of yeah scientific and structured. We think we know it all, and and actually quite a lot of this, I think, is in some ways unknowable because it's about you know how it's about how we relate to each other and how we we behave as human beings um, and and our emotions and feelings and all that sort of you know all that you know, mushy stuff. Um, so, um, uh, just the block who runs. Bertzog, which I've spoken about, you know, sort of the one of the the, the doyen of the teal brigade. Um, his view is that uh, all you have to do is, you know, like create the environment for people. It, 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 I think he says, like it's simple. You just let people do the stuff they're really good at. And yet, there's a, another whole discussion in the sort of teal environment about how hard this is and how you have to work so much on yourself and you've got to go through this personal transformation. And um, and I think it is actually quite simple. This is really just the way we are. And, and you know, I, I've always thought that leadership is about creating an environment where people can can do their best work. And if you, you know, if you, there are some very simple truths here that if we can uncover them and bring them to the fore, they can guide people um, without them having to get into, you know, great, great levels of self-examination or great levels of um, you know technical understanding about organizational structures and all that sort of stuff do you also see the um, that's what you just described um, Colin um, just going sort of going back to the basic centers of um, it seems quite intuitive what you describe it describe describe. Um, do you also see that that you now if, if if we sort of look at what's going to happen in sort of the next two three decades, do do you see how that self organizing um, uh, approach is that is that developing like that? It's very intuitive. I mean, of course, there's a we can sort of systemize it, or we're trying to systemize it as well. But do you think that people need to go back to kind of more what what feels good for them? Yeah, I, I think. So I, I, like I said, I, I've always seen you know. So whenever I've led teams or you know projects or whatever, I've always seen it about creating an environment and then allowing people to express themselves within that. I guess, and I think that's where we should be focusing on: is what do we need? What, what, um, what framework, you know, what architectures can we put in place to create that, those environments for people to excel in, rather than what we've tended to do, I think, is look very much at what people do and try to systemise those individual actions. And when you do that, you, know, you, you take away the magic that happens in a team when, you know, 
when teams come together and or when a team is formed and it starts to really excel and do stuff that you never thought it could be before, that's the type of magic. And if you put too much systemization in, in what happens there, the magic's never going to happen. So, so I guess I'd say, you know, you build the stage, but let, let the, um, and let the actors perform. So how, yeah, how very romantic now, Richard? Yes, no, so that's, I mean, I, I, I can talk about um, the, the, theater, the theatrical um, interpretation of organizations all day, but I'm not going to, because I'm going to ask you, yeah, how hopeful are you that, that, that this kind of, of reimagined organization, whether, whether it's being more pirate or whether it's team of teams or whether it's teal, how hopeful are you that, that, that this can become more than a, a sort of, uh, to go back to the earlier point, a theorised the, theorized movement that actually seems to, to be in contrast to reality. So how hopeful are you that it can become reality? And if, and if, it, if it does become reality, this sort of a, that does, does, is work then decrapified or, or is it just the start? Um, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimistic cynic. So, um, <laughs> so I'm optimistic that, because I think there are some broader sort of trends here. I think, I think lots of people are, are dissatisfied with what's happening now and feel there has to be a change. And, um, you know, COVID's given us all a good shake up and made us reassess things. And I guess, I think that, that there will be a move to more um, flexible and remote working. And that does start to break down some of the structures uh, and particularly the power dynamics that have sort of held us in um, in this, I would say, unhealthy position for, for some time. So, so I think you know that, and, and, and you know, more broadly, people want um, they want they're beginning to look for different things in life. They want more balance in their life. You know, um, we've got climate change. You know, so I think there's a lot of other things that are, that are pushing. Um, in hopeful directions. Um, but, yeah, but I, I mean, the, the it's going to take some doing to um, shift what we've got at the moment because it is... So some of the things that we have, you know, like, like the, um, the way we talk about organisations as, as machines, that, that's such a perver pervasive way of thinking. That it's going to take a while, and it, and it has um, a lot of unhelpful consequences. That's going to that's going to take quite some shifting. Um, so I think that's why my objective is you know, decrapifying work is is really yeah. I'd love I'd love everybody to go to work and have a fantastic you know experience and be able to realise their full potential, of course, but. Right now, I take it that everybody went to work and enjoyed it. That would be a good start, I think. That seems to me. If, if, if we revisited the, 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 the Colin of, of uh, X number of years ago, and in the language you said, because you actually used quite mechanic language that didn't have the tools and the techniques, to, 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 so perhaps, perhaps had, imp had the correct improvisational skills to, to go into theatrical metaphors. So, so, so the Colin, you know, if, if, if that Colin, you know, a new Colin today, what improvisational skills would you like them to have to, to sort of to start this process? 
Um, so, I guess, uh, I mean, when you're improvising, so that's a good metaphor, that, isn't it? You know, so first thing you have to have, you have to have a, you have to have courage, um, uh, because you might you know you might do things wrong, and then you have to you have to be willing to experiment, um, and you have to be open to relating to other people and trusting them. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think all of those qualities would be very good for people to have in organisations. Um, and I, I've done a bit of improv myself, and it's, I think it's a very good, um, it's very instructive as to, um, you know, how to, how to be creative with other people um, and to support each other. You know, one of the big, big rules of improv is you never let your buddy down. You know, you never leave people hanging. Um, and the other one is that you, 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 the, to do the yes and rather than the yes but. Now, those two things alone, if they were adopted in organisations, would make everyone's work experience hugely better. I suggest. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree. I mean, I, I that, that they, they seem very simple, but and yeah, again, exactly. I think that the fact that we're not called, you know, the, the, the idea that they're, they're 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 almost improvisational play rather than tactics and tools and, and techniques there's, there's there's something in that language that 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 sort of takes us in a in a non-mechanical direction so so we always finish with it with the with the same question and, and that's what we call the nine trillion dollar question um and, and and the reason it's nine trillion dollars is because we believe that that's how much money uh is or revenue is is not being realized because of all of these crap in your terms uh ways of managing and and, and designing organizations so the dollars question is what kind of world would would, would the, the ideas that you've had be more pirates more teal and self-organizing what what kind of world is is that going to produce i think i mean what kind of world I think it'll produce a world where people are more at ease with themselves because, um, you know, this is all about giving people choice and autonomy and um, the ability to express and develop themselves. Uh, and I don't, th uh, and that can operate in, in any environment. You know, I think sometimes when we talk about this stuff, we, we think a lot about, you know, the type of people we are, you know, educated, middle-class, well-resourced. But there's no reason why people who are in, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way of putting it, you know, just more everyday work and then more everyday situations can't also have autonomy and choice and um, be able to express themselves. Colin? I think it would be a, it would be a, a happier, a more productive and a more creative world. Uh, Colin, yes. Um, I'd like to thank you for um, this uh, conversation. Um, it's been really interesting to hear from uh, from you. Now, it's always uh, very intriguing to, to give people time to explain what they do. 
Um, I'd like to thank you a lot for this particular candid crack. You as well, Richard. Um, and hope to see you soon again. Yeah, thank you guys, and uh, thank you.